0: Welcome to the Nutritional Minute with your host, Meg Reichert, a military spouse, national board-certified health and wellness coach, personal trainer, and certified weight loss coach. Join Meg as she helps you to uncover the ties between your mental health and nutrition, and how you can connect the two to provide support as you go through the transitioning ups and downs of life. Now, here's your host, Meg Reichert. Welcome to Nutrition Minute with Meg Reichert. I'm a nationally certified health and wellness coach, culinary coach, personal trainer, mental health expert. And I'm excited to be here with you today. And we're going to be talking about the 12 steps to better health. And as we get started, if you hear a little difference in my voice this week, my family and I got hit with. COVID, we are very lucky that it was a very minor case, but it has left a little bit of a lingering cough with me. So I apologize for the gravelly voice this week, but I don't know, maybe it's a improvement from the... So today we're talking about 12 steps to better health. And what does health mean to you? Is it simply entering better, eating better, and adding more exercise to your life? Is it having positive people surrounding you? Or maybe it is spending time in meditation each morning. But here's the truth. Health is actually all of these things. Health is caring for your body, mind, and spirit and focusing on the journey, not the destination. And we've talked about that in this space so many times that your journey never ends, right? There's never a final destination. You're never going to say, okay, I achieved that goal and now I can get back to whatever I was doing. You're constantly in a state of evolution and you're constantly changing. So, striving for better health is never ending, it is always changing and always improving. And here's a few ways that you can aid yourself on your lifelong journey um, towards better health. The first one is always going to be drink more water. Seriously, it's that easy. Up to 60% of the human body is water. We need water for almost every single bodily function that occurs. We need water to produce hormones and neurotransmitters. Water is how we regulate body temperature through sweating and perspiration. We use it to form saliva, aiding in digestion, as well as keeping mucosal membranes moist and flushing bodily waste through urine. Water lubricates our joints. It's a major component of most body parts, and it helps to deliver oxygen all over your body. Without the appropriate amount of water, our bodies cannot function properly. This can lead to being overly tired, poor digestion, headaches, sore joints, elevated heart rate, and overall, just a lack of energy. Drinking at least 60 ounces of water is the minimum recommendation. It Usually what I try to share with people is take what your body weight is, divide that by two, and then that's how many ounces of water you need a day. I was talking with a health expert the other day, and she even recommended taking your prescribed ounces a day. So I weigh, you know, 150 pounds um, on a good day. And so if I'm going to divide that by two, that's 75 ounces of water a day. So instead of just sitting and guzzling that 75 ounces all in one sitting, which is massively unrealistic, but maybe even just dividing that over half, that's still not. An adequate way for me to get enough water. So she actually recommended take your prescribed ounces of water, so my 75 ounces, and divide that by five. And whatever that is, you're going to drink that amount of ounces five times a day. So I have no clue what 75 divided by five is because I am terrible at math, but whatever that equals, I would drink that during the day. A good recommendation is always have a water bottle on you. Get a reusable water bottle. I probably have 10 or 15 in my cabinet, which drives my husband crazy, but I like to switch up my water bottle, keep it exciting, and have different options on hand. Another tip for better health is practice cooking. I cannot say this enough. When cooking at home, It's easy to get stuck in a rut, right? But when we keep practicing and we're trying new habits and a new cooking technique, that's keeping the idea of cooking at home kind of sexy and exciting. When you work long hours, you come home, you go to cook dinner, you're not going to really want to practice a new cooking technique because you're exhausted, right? You're tired. You want something that's easy and simple and something that you can do with your eyes closed. And we talked about this a lot last week with the meal planning and meal prep and how that can aid you on your wellness journey. But these are also the same reasons that we get stuck in a rut and we end up eating out or ordering food or picking something up on the way home because we get really bored. So the more you can practice cooking at home, preferably when you're not tired, I tend to do this on the weekends or when my husband's home to help with my kids, the more familiar you can get with cooking different um, foods, with different ingredients, and you can also practice different cooking techniques. I encourage you to try new spices and seasonings or pick up a new protein you haven't made before. Um, I am constantly trying to improve my plant-based protein intake um, and cooking techniques. So I like to experiment sometimes with tofu and seitan. Mostly because they're not very expensive. The price of that doesn't fluctuate with how the price of meat fluctuates. If I mess it up, it's really not the end of the world. But as you become more familiar with techniques and new ingredients, they'll also become routine and they're going to become second nature. So you can add that to your repertoire of busy night meals. Experimenting with whole grains is another really good option. Whole grains tend to be known as the whole package. Um, They're loaded with fiber and micronutrients like iron, copper, zinc, magnesium, different antioxidants. The difference between whole grains and refined grains is that whole grains are the entire intact grain, whereas a refined grain lacks the bran and germ, but it has the least nutritious part, which is the endosperm. It's done like this mostly because that endosperm is a little bit more shelf stable than the bran and germ. And so we can mass produce it in large quantities and not worry about it going bad. But if you're going to consume the whole grain, you're going to get a fiber-filled bran and the nutrient-packed germ. So while whole grains are carbohydrate, they contain a large amount of fiber, which helps lower cholesterol and aid in digestion. And another kind of way to figure out if a food that you're eating is whole grain or if it's going to have enough fiber. A lot of times we avoid foods that have grains in them because, oh my gosh, they're high carb and we can't have anything in carbohydrates anymore because carbohydrates are the devil. So when you're shopping and you take a look at the nutrition side of the container and it's going to tell you how much fat, protein, carbohydrates are in there. Take a look at the carbohydrates, look right underneath it and it's going to have how much fiber is in there. Take the number of fiber and grams of fiber and subtract that from the carbohydrates. And that's going to give you indication of whether or not this is a high fiber food. If there's more fiber left over from the difference of carbohydrate, that's going to be a high fiber food. That's going to be a food that's going to be packed with a lot more nutrition than just something that's going to be what we call empty carbohydrates, which is food that's produced with just the endosperm of the grain. So there's your, the more, you know, lesson for today. Obviously, we want to increase vegetables, right? Increasing your sweet vegetables is a really good way to curb those sweet tooth cravings. So by increasing sweet vegetables, you're able to crowd out those less healthy foods or those foods that you may want to be limiting for your personal lifestyle. Sweet vegetables do a great job of curbing your sweet tooth and your sugar craving. And by eating foods that are naturally sweet, like carrots and corn or sweet potatoes and even beets. You're able to manage your blood sugar without experiencing that sweet tooth craving that can lead to maybe binge eating if you're depriving yourself of something. Obviously, we all need to eat more leafy greens. Leafy green vegetables are the least eaten food in the modern diet, which is probably why we hear about them the most. By increasing your amount of green leafy veggies, you're increasing your iron, magnesium, fiber, vitamin C, and vitamin K all of which can help fight against things like the common cold, the flu. I'm sure they can probably boost your immune system as we're navigating COVID. I'm not a health expert, so don't quote me on that. But You can really kick your health up a notch by incorporating cruciferous vegetables into your diet. Cruciferous vegetables are going to be the green leafy vegetables like broccoli, spinach, kale, microgreens. And adding those either as a side dish or a component of a main dish can really elevate the nutrition quality of whatever meal you're eating experimenting with protein. Most people have a favorite protein source. So in the United States, chicken is the most consumed source of protein, but it's not the only source. And I can go off on a tangent about this all day, but it actually wasn't always the most common source. Up until World War II, beef was our primary source of protein, obviously because we had a mass amount of cattle. But when World War II happened, we had to start sending our beef overseas to our soldiers. And so there was limited amounts of protein sources left. Obviously, chicken's always around. And so we started using chicken as a main source of protein for everybody who was left at home. And over time, we've been able to modify chicken and we've been able to increase the size and volume of the chicken as well which is why it is now the most common because it's also the cheapest to raise. Again, definitely a tangent. So we know that red meat while delicious is high in protein. It can cause heightened cholesterol and weight gain if overconsumed, but it doesn't necessarily make that a bad option. There's a ton of nutrients in red meat and consuming red meat on a limited basis is not a bad idea. It can help boost your iron. Obviously it's going to give you more protein. But it's going to give you a lot of B vitamins. There's other sources of protein as well, including plant-based options. And this doesn't just include tofu and seitan like I was talking about before. Vegetables like peas, broccoli, edamame, lentils. These are great plant-based protein sources. Nuts and seeds are as well. Our body actually has an easier time of breaking these proteins down than they do of animal-based protein. Throw a meatless Monday into your meal planning routine and see what happens. I try to go meatless a couple meals a week and honestly, my family doesn't really notice anymore. We have our favorites and they sometimes get excited when we get to have those. Eating fewer processed foods. In our country, it's really hard to eat a no processed food diet, even if we're trying to be healthy. And I use that very uh, leniently and with huge quotations around it. Processed foods are in our lifestyle. even if you're somebody who you work out and you take a post-workout protein shake, guess what? That protein powder that you're using, it's processed. The olive oil that you're putting in your food, it had to come out of that pit somehow. And so it's also processed. So Processed foods are foods that have been altered in any way from their natural state. And this can be as simple as freezing vegetables, which isn't actually bad. That's a great time-saving money-saving vegetable option. But in many cases, the term processed food means that manufacturing companies have added chemicals and additives to alter the state of food, making it more shelf stable, bigger, brighter, cooking quicker, Quaker oats, quick oats, or ready rice. They're not bad options, but they have been altered so that we can have them easily. So these are foods that you want to not inherently bad. You don't want them to be a primary source of your diet. You really want to be mindful of chemicals or additives or um, in the food. And if they're going to keep your food shelf safe and consider what happens when those foods enter your body as well. Do they lead to hormonal imbalances? Do you feel a little grumpy? Or are you lacking sleep? Are you fidgety? Are you gaining weight? Do you have gut issues? Are you going to the bathroom quickly or maybe not going to the bathroom at all? All of these things can be side effects of additives added to food. And while nearly impossible to avoid, and I wouldn't say to even avoid them because some of them are also just really delicious, be mindful of how they make you feel. Take that time to consider, how do I feel after I eat these potato chips? Do I feel energized? Do I feel good? And even if the answer is no, sometimes it's still okay to consume those foods just because you're like, you know what? I don't really feel that great right now, but man, they were delicious. (laughs) That's also an okay reason. To eat processed foods i would just say limit them and try to balance them out with fresh food as well if you want to make a habit of nurturing your body so getting in this habit of putting the best foods in your body is a great way to start but once you've gotten into the routine of doing so you also want to be able to recognize the differences in your body and you if once you get in this routine you can do that in a relatively short amount of time it really is true that you need to treat your body as a temple And I'm not saying that you have to be hundred percent all the time, because again, that's so unrealistic, but we do only get one body. And I was talking with a client the other day and I practice intuitive eating. I practice, I have a practice that really emphasizes healthy at every size. And she was saying, no, she's trying to do intuitive eating, but she just still doesn't love her body. She feels that she's able to eat intuitively and she's able to be mindful of when she's eating, but she says she's still gaining weight, really not helping her in loving her body. And I want to say this here because I think that it's really important. Nowhere out there does it say that we have to love our body the way it is right now, but we do have to respect our body. I don't think that anybody can look in the mirror and see something that they don't want to maybe improve or change on themselves. It's sad, but it's also just the truth. I look in the mirror and I see parts of myself that I want to change. And I may not love that part of my body, but I respect my body. I respect the fact that my body wakes me up every day. I respect my body that it helps me pick up my kids and then I can carry them both up and down the stairs. I respect my body because I'm able to move it relatively pain-free. And I really respect my body right now because it did its job and it was fighting germs that I needed it to fight so that I could stay healthy for my family. So I 100% respect my body. I don't always love my body. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And when we can accept that, we can start having that healthier relationship with our body. We can respect the fact that this body that we were given is a temple. But we can also live in the acknowledgement and the acceptance that we are not able to be 100% 100% of the time. It's very unrealistic both timeline wise, lifestyle wise, financially that we're going to be able to eat farm to table fresh food and no hormones added, no additives added 100% of the time. But we do know that when we are exposing our body to less stress that we are able to offer it better opportunity for healing, we have higher immunity. We have healthier behaviors and we have a longer life. And by limiting that stress, we are able to treat our body like a temple. And how do we limit that stress? We live in this space of acceptance where we stop wasting time debating whether we love our body or not, but we respect our body for the job that it's doing because it's doing a beautiful job. And we do our best by fueling our body with the best food that we have on hand. And sometimes that's the Chick-fil-A drive food. That is absolutely okay. Or I am recording this on a Friday and respecting my body is enjoying Friday night, pizza night and watching Encanto for the billionth time with my babies. That is joy. And that is treating my body like a temple because I'm living a joy-filled life and respecting my body and I am limiting my stress. So building that healthy relationship is foundational to everything else that we do. We want to also... Learn how to enjoy regular physical activity. This does not mean running a marathon or running on a treadmill or getting on your Peloton for eight hours a day. It can literally be 30 minutes of walking your neighborhood. I walked behind my toddler today riding his balance bike and it took 40 minutes for us to do our small loop, but I did it. And that counts as 30 minutes of movement for my day. Obviously, if you're aiming for a space of weight loss, you're going to want to increase your movement and you're going to want to increase or change up the types of movement that you're doing. But not all exercise types, fitness types meet every type of body or mind. Some bodies and minds may be more predisposed to enjoying yoga. I hate yoga, but I know that I need yoga in my life so that I can do the other things. Strength training, which I think is important for everybody, but that does not need to be everybody's only go-to. You can be a yogi who maybe does strength training two days a week. You can be a walker or a jogger who maybe does some yoga before she goes to bed at night and maybe walks with some three-pound weights while she's walking. That counts. So incorporating movement however you fit Counts as physical activity. If you are homebound and you can't get out of your house, maybe walking up your stairs or just walking around your living room a few times a day or a few times every hour or every other hour, if that's an improvement on where you're at before, that is regular physical activity. And when we add physical activity into our weekly schedule, it gets easier and you can see the benefits even better. Your mental health can improve. Obviously your physical health and your waistline might decrease, but those aches and pains that you had, you might not have anymore. The temper that you felt like you were having or the anxiety, it may be. And so these are all benefits of physical activity. While there is a physical component to that, there is an emotional and mental one as well. That, in my personal opinion, I view is more important than any physical outcome that you're going to have. The last two steps that I view is leading to better health is finding work that you love. I saw something on Instagram today; and it was really funny. I've always said, and we hear it all the time: if you love the work you do, you never have to work a day. I saw somebody on Instagram today cross that out and said, "If you love the work that you do, you're going to work so hard and you're going to struggle with boundaries because you're going to want to keep working." And that is so true. I am a business owner; I love what I do, but I do struggle with those boundaries. However, when we find work that we love doing, that can actually help boost our confidence. And when it boosts our confidence, that's going to boost our health and our immune system. Because when we're more confident, we're not stressing out as much. I know that early in my practice, I really struggled with comparison um, syndrome a lot. And I really stressed that, oh my gosh, people are making fun of me or I don't know enough. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough knowledge. And so I was getting really stressed out about that and I was losing sleep and I was really struggling. And my health ended up taking a turn. And slowly, as I became more confident in myself and my skill set and my practice, my stress level became less and my immune system improved and I was sleeping more soundly. I wasn't getting sick as often. So by doing a job that you enjoy, you're more likely to be less stressed and you're able to handle the stress that you're exposed to better than you would if you were in a job that you hated. If you're currently in a job and you don't enjoy it and you want to make a transition, Maybe make a list of inherent strengths and interests and in how they could translate an inspiring career. Or because that is a very privileged approach that, you know, and a, making an assumption that you are in a place where you can change your career, try to think about other things that you enjoy. What about you think about living for the things that bring joy to your life? So working for the things that bring joy to your life. If you love camping and you love, if and you want a camper, okay, so maybe the job that you don't necessarily love right now is going to help you save up money to buy that camper to go on your summer vacations. Or maybe I'm a big reader and I really like to crochet, which really makes me nerdy, but I love it. So you know, maybe getting your work done for the day means that you have more opportunity in your evening to do those things that you love. Spend time with your loved ones and use that job that you have because that's not a career. If you're not loving it, it's not necessarily a career, it's a job use that job so that it can fuel that thing that you enjoy. And maybe that thing you enjoy is your side hustle that you can hopefully turn into a career one day. Doesn't matter. Find something that you love, whether that's for my husband, he does not always love his army job, but he really loves woodworking and that is the thing that brings him joy. And his army job happens to pay for his ability to, you know, buy more equipment or buy wood to make furniture. Doesn't matter. But finding that thing that you enjoy is so important to your wellness. And lastly, develop a s- spiritual practice, whether that's from a religious standpoint or not. It can mean something different to and everyone. A spiritual practice can be a religious belief or non-religious beliefs that focus on something positive. So yoga, meditation, something that brings you joy. It can be church, synagogue, temple, whatever it is that brings that joy into your heart. Developing a spiritual practice has a similar effect on your heart and soul as eating more fruits, vegetables, whole grains has on your body. So essentially your spiritual practice is eating healthy, right? So your spiritual practice is for your mind as eating healthy is for your body. So by incorporating a better or more routine spiritual practice into your life, you're detoxing your mind, your spirit, and your heart of negativity, and you're bringing growth and positivity into your life great non-religious spiritual practice can be starting a gratitude journal. This is something that I do every day. I start each morning by writing down three to five things that I'm grateful for. And then I think about those things throughout the day, or it just starts my day off on a positive note. And so it just leads to my day being less overwhelmed and less stressed. So just to recap, 12 steps to better health, drink more water, practice cooking, experiment with whole grains increase sweet vegetables, increase leafy green vegetables, experiment with protein, eat fewer processed foods, make a habit of nurturing your body, have healthy relationships, enjoy regular physical activity, find work you love, develop a spiritual practice. So my friends, that is all I have for you today. I hope your week is filled with happiness. I hope your week is stress-free and I hope that today's podcast brought a little bit of light into your life as you always bring into mine. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning in to the nutritional minute, a podcast of behind the service. Join us every Thursday for another minute with Meg. If you enjoyed this episode, please share on your social media and be sure to tag behind the service podcast. You can follow us on our socials at behind the service podcast.